Amen. Well, I heard that my job is in jeopardy because of how powerful Cal Molina was last weekend. Can someone give a holler and a clap for our brother? Thank you, Cal. No hype. That really means a lot. And I really <clears throat> did hear that it was a beautiful, a beautiful time just ministering the word. How many believe that one of the great things our generation and our nation needs are men and women who cultivate history with the Lord over a lifetime of just faithfully walking with Jesus? How many think hype is overrated? Every hand raised. But just men and women who walk with God and who just are able to share out of the overflow of God's word and God's life. And I want you to know that that is a noble goal this morning to become a man or a woman of God who walks with Jesus day in and day out. And so thank you, Cal, for <clears throat> not just holding down the fort, but taking us forward in the grace of God. Well, it is really a joy. Um, if you missed it, you can download the teaching notes. I, I will hopefully hardly have to reference them at all. Um, that you can study them yourself after the fact. Um, I think I know everybody in this room, but I'm in an odd chance that I don't, my name is Chad Bohai, and my wife is in the kids, helping running the kids with Megan, and uh, we've been married for 15 years, and pastor a beautiful church along with <clears throat> Raphael called Radiant, and it's just really great to welcome you this morning from the bottom of my heart. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was in New York City all week with pastors and leaders from all around the world at a conference called Altars Conference, right in the heart of New York City, and it was just wild and crazy. It was a lot of singing, a lot of praying, a lot of preaching and teaching. Uh, I did two breakout sessions, so I didn't have that heavy of a load on the teaching end, but a lot of just fun time ministering to the Lord and and, and, and partnering with the Holy Spirit and creating atmospheres where the Lord can just touch his people. And so that was amazing to be with uh, Pastor John Tyson and his wife Christy and several other just beautiful ministers from around, from around the world that just powerful in the Lord. It was a, it was a wonderful time. <clears throat> and for, again, those who don't know, I, I <clears throat> the night before I was scheduled to catch a 5.40 a.m. flight, I took a NyQuil or a Mucinex's equivalent to try to get some sleep because when you're burning the candle at both ends, sleep is usually not a high priority in like a conference-like environment. So I just wanted to ensure to get four or five or six hours before the flight. But what happened was when I took the pill, like again, it was like a NyQuil, I could feel the pill's effect that I'm like, oh, I'm trying to fall asleep. But for some reason, my heart resisted it. So I felt the like, oh, it's time to go to bed, but my heart's like, no, it's not. And so, again, I, I text most of you. That sent me on all night just on a journey of trying to control my heart, control my breathing. Again, the effects of wanting to sleep, but for some reason my mind and heart wouldn't let me. And so made it through the whole night, counting breaths, okay. And the next morning I woke up, I'm like, cool, the heart's good, everything's great. It was great. So I caught a 9.30 flight. I'm going to Newark, so I changed airports to fly home. And it's a five and a half hour flight to get to, uh, 
where was my layover? Phoenix. And three hours into the flight, I had the same effect happen where the sleepiness, because I didn't sleep the night before or hardly the whole week, the sleepiness came over me again. But again, my heart's like, you're not sleeping in my mind. And so what ensued was, was a three-hour wrestling match. And for those of you, I, it, was, it was a full-blown panic attack, anxiety attack. It's what it was. And for those of you who've gone through that, um, it's no joke. For three hours, I counted four seconds in, hold for one, and four seconds out. For three hours, it was, it was four seconds in, one, four seconds out. Just, Lord, I've got to get on the ground. Lord, you're going to help me. And so it was this, it was, an, it was the most intense thing, no hype I've ever walked through personally in my life. Just trying to breathe, trying to make it. So the heart's going crazy, the whole deal. And so, so I get, I get, I land, and um, we are going to get to the word. This is the most important part. But for those of you who care and want to know, so as soon as I landed and I was able to gather my stuff, again, even as I'm walking four seconds in, I'm walking super slow, and I find a TSA agent, and I, I'm just said, I need you to call medical personnel. I can't breathe. So I just, so the fact that I just could get there, they're like, are you okay? Like, you're tall, you're 38, you're healthy, whatever. But I just, as soon as I saw them, I mean, the, the emotional release of like, hey, here's these five firefighters. They're hooking me up. I've got stuff all over me. His heart's good. They're eyeballing me. And, and uh, so, you know, it was just, it was amazing. So I get off the plane. I'm about to die. That's what it feels like. And I look in Phoenix, and there's this huge banner in the Phoenix airport that says, Be Radiant. And it's so funny. It was, it, you have no idea. I mean, I don't, I know. I was like, and then my, my paramedic was a, a songwriter worship leader for a mega church in Phoenix. So I had a lifting at that point. So I'm showing him, you know, some stuff I did in New York that looks really cool and professional. I'm like, hey, I'm a songwriter too, man. Look. And so we're passing stories. And so, so I check in and everything like, okay, you had a panic attack. You're super tired. Haven't slept in like five or six days. You're good. And the only reason I was admitted is because I had a weird EKG. Uh, and as a baby, I had a, a heart murmur. So, again, dude checks me out. You can tell, ask my wife. I'm like, honey, I'm not going to get admitted. The, the, the ER was filled. It would have taken hours. So I, like, bring my bag. I'm good. I'm getting my breaths under control. And as I'm, like, debating on just getting the lift back to the airport, catching a flight, I'm okay. Chad Bohe? And I'm like, I'm, I'm like gonna leave. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, honey, I think I'm good. Like, we're okay. Like, that's, it was terrible. But, and so they, they admitted me immediately, got an EKG. And because my EKG was whack, it, it, literally the doctor said it's a red herring. It was a unique, your heart is, it didn't say weird, but it's just unique. It was a weird shot. I'm like, well, I run five days a week. And so the fact that the EKG was off, they immediately admitted me, and then I don't want to talk about all the tests and all that garbage, but um, my heart is fine, okay? I, I've, had, I've had a full heart workup at the age of almost 39, bless God, and it was just this tidal wave of anxiety, because remember, I have, my, I have my smartphone where I'm, I'm having to cancel and rebook flights in real time, because I'm not going to make that one, crap, cancel, let's get the next one out. And test after test, and, and, and that, you know what? You know what I found out? They're just not in a hurry. <laughs> like, 
Hospitals don't care. I mean, they care. They care. We have some nurses in the house. Every medical worker, hats off. I love you. But there's a different time clock when you get in the system. And so every test would come back would be this whole new window of having to count breaths. Okay, give me something for things. This, this is just, ugh. You know, and, and, uh, and so <clears throat> literally my cardiologist, the assistant cardiologist, my last test was done, which was the worst. For those of you who've had to take that fire pill that makes your whatever open up, like some of you have had that. God bless you. And uh, I mean, so I'm still on this slow heartbeat medicine. My cardiologist is like, Chad, I got your back. I know you got a flight. Like I'm hitting refresh on my email to make sure whenever they read that thing, you can get discharged and catch your flight. So, so then I got to hurry, but my heart's like purposely beating slower. <laughs> and so I'm like, this is not good. So on the drive over, I'm like, oh God, Lord, just get four seconds in, four seconds out. And I get, I, I, I sprint, I get back to the TSA. I'm like, dude, here's my medical band. Here's a piece of paper. I'm not lying to you. You got to get me through security. I can't do this, bro. I get there, and by the grace of God, my flight was delayed an hour so I could sit and breathe and gather myself before coming home. So I got home. My heart's great. I have slept amazing four straight nights. Come on, amen. We praise God. And uh, it's so funny because uh, it's not funny, but it's just um, there, there is this song that is one of my favorite songs by Brian and Katie Torwalt calls it's called Praise Before My Breakthrough, and it's an amazing song, by the way. I really encourage you to write it down, Praise Before My Breakthrough. But Katie Torwalt, the songwriter on it, she has a line in it that says, um, you know, uh, when I'm holding up my head and I'm counting every breath, and for those of you who've walked through some of that, you know, it's not like I have a badge, but my heart so if you're facing things, if you struggle with these things, please make it known. It really does help when you have people praying for you and walking with you. Amen. And there's skilled counselors even in our, our fellowship here. And just people, if, you, if that's in any area, if it's touching something that's raw in you, then uh, don't, don't, do, don't walk through that in silence. Amen. So we're amazing. I've got a little calcium in my heart, but so does yours. Praise God. My heart is perfect. And I'm we're, we're, we're learning to breathe, and I've learned a bunch of valuable lessons. I could tell you all those later, but I just wanted to give the update. So let me pray for us, and then we'll open God's word together. Um, together. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for just this family that, like Paul said, I know that with God's help and your prayers, deliverance is coming. Lord, I thank you that there were genuine literal moments in the hospital where I felt lifted. I knew there were prayers. I knew there were intercessions. There were people contending. Father, all of us are facing stuff, but I thank you that prayer is not our last resort. It's our privilege. I thank you for being carried by this spiritual family these last few days. Thank you for the coverage over my wife and my family. Thank you, Lord, just for your goodness to us. You're so faithful. Thank you for being literally with us in every breath we take, every breath, every thought. And we just say, we love you, Lord. Thank you for, for uh, being with us on the mountains. Like, 
these amazing moments and in the darkest, deepest valleys that you're the same God and you're with us and you'll never leave us or forsake us. We bless you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. We all said amen. Amen. So open your Bibles. Again, we're just going to get as far as we can get. I'm aware of the time, but um, I want to read the whole passage and then just make a few comments. So picking up in Colossians 1, 21 through 2, verse 5. We're going to get through the whole thing. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant, the church's servant, by the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, read this part with me, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present, read it with me, everyone fully mature in Christ. Let me pick it up here. To this end, I strenuously contend with all of the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Read it with me. Namely, Christ. Keep going. Verse 3 together. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. My turn. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Can we all say thanks be to God? 
I love this chunk of scripture with all of my heart. I love that the Apostle Paul, in every letter he writes, he's not going from new content to new content to new content to new content. And how many are thankful for that, for the slow learners like myself in the room? But throughout the letters, he's weaving themes and ideas that he's already introduced, that he's already prayed, and he's bringing them back up from a different angle in a new light. And so what we see, two things in this passage. Paul had really two primary ways that he discharged or fulfilled his commission to be a minister of the gospel. Number one, he proclaimed, he admonished, and he taught with all the supernatural energy that God worked in. So he, he viewed, so principally his ministry was to declare the wonders and works of God the Father that he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. So he has this wing of proclamation. Everyone say proclamation. But he also, because he spent a lot of time beat up, bandaged, bludgeoned, shipwrecked, sleepless nights, cold prison cell floors. So he knew principally through the proclamation, the teaching and admonishing of the gospel, people would encounter Christ and grow in Christ. But he also, this is what I love, he's the praying apostle. He also viewed the second, and I would argue the, the primary because of how much time he spent in prison throughout his ministry. So that which he would proclaim, he would then throw all of the energy the Spirit gave him to pray the thing forward. So everyone say proclamation and prayer. So he's proclaiming, he's teaching. Look what he says there in verse 21. He, he shared, this is an unbelievable way to frame the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You were alienated, you were estranged, you were enemies of God because of your evil behavior. But now Christ, God has reconciled you by Christ's body, his physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So again, in his letter he, to the people he's not even met, he didn't plant this church Epiphras did, but he's writing to them the glories of the gospel, and he's like, guys, this is what God has done. You were filled with sin. You were alienated and estranged because of your, your, your rebellious minds and rebellious hearts, but now, through the physical body of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, instead of you standing ashamed, condemned, and filled with sin before the Father, you now stand in the holiness of God himself. How many have ever struggled with feeling accused or that you don't measure up? Every hand should be raised. You don't measure up. You're not as good as that. You're better than that guy, but you're not as good as that guy. And so we live in this competitive, comparing, contrasting. And what Paul is saying to every single person who's received and responded, back to verse 3 through 6, to the good news of God's grace, when you receive that message, you now no longer st stand under the crippling, unbearable weight of your sin. He has declared over your life, not guilty, innocent, justified, reconciled, made holy through not your merits, but through the actual merits of a physical man, Christ Jesus himself. 
And so when you and I, when Paul is giving us tools as a spiritual community, did you know in Revelation chapter 12, verses 8 through 12, that there is someone, someone's job description called the enemy has a full-time job called accuse the brothers and sisters of the Lord. How many have ever heard the accusing voices of the enemy? You're not really free from that. You're not as far along as you should be. Come on, someone say amen when I poke you. <clears throat> you shouldn't still be struggling with that. God could never use you. You're a wash-up. Your best days are behind you, definitely. How many have been accused? What Paul is saying, you, you do not fight that accusing voice through your own merit. What we do as a spiritual family is we hold up a gospel mirror to each other. And we say, no, you are not the one through your merit, your effort, your pedigree, your performance that that brought you into a state in a condition of acceptance, of holiness, of purity, and, and, and without blame. Because of what Christ has done for you, brother and sister, you stand holy in his sight. Introduce the accuser with the one who crushed him with his heel, Christ Jesus. Friends, we need to take seriously the ministry of going to war for each other when the voices of accusation come our way. We hold up the gospel mirror and we say, no, what is the most true thing about you if you are in Christ is that you are a new creation. The work he's doing in you, Philippians 1.6, he will carry it on to completion. You keep triumphing over the accusation by declaring the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus, the physical death of a man on an actual cross, on an actual hill. And in his physical, I love it, guys, Christianity is not just some mystical, contemplative clouds. And I love Paul. Again, he's combating false heresies. There were many theories about, did Christ really appear? Was he a hologram? No, no, I look at the earthiness and the girthiness of it. No, there was a man with a physical body who actually got whipped and lashed, who hung on a gruesome cross, Galatians 3, becoming a curse for us so that he receives the guilty verdict for the sake of all of us sinners. And his guilty verdict, by trusting in what he became for us, in his act, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, that he literally took our sins in his body. His physical body bore the weight of every sin, of every sinner for all time. He became something for us so that now, by trusting in the good news of his grace, we stand in the state and condition that Christ alone fully embodied. Innocence, purity, perfection, and holiness. Friends, our principal ministry as the body of Christ, when our brothers and sisters are struggling with sin or accusation, we don't just hold up a mirror and say, yeah, look how ugly you are. No, no, no. We hold up the gospel mirror and say, look who you are in the grace of Christ and who you are becoming in his love and in his grace. And this is why Paul, in his mind, it's inconceivable that believers who believe the gospel to get in the door, but then now think they're going to finish the work of sanctification by their own flesh and efforts. Paul's like, verse 23, if you move from the hope held out in the gospel, you're not moving to hope 2.0. You're going backwards. Paul's like, the, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, what God has done in Jesus. It is the A through Z. You and I need to hear the gospel every day that we wake up. I am a new creation. Amen. And the work he started, he's going to finish it. And someday when I awake 
at the age to come, I'm going to see him with eyes and I'm going to be just like him. And all along the way, between now, who you are in Christ and who you're becoming in the grace of Christ by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, you and I need to be reminded more than we can count what is actually true of us because of what God has done through I love through the, the actual body of an actual man named Jesus Christ. How many need the gospel today? How many need to, to speak that truth over the voice of the accuser that says, you're not, you won't, you can't, you'll never. You say, no, 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 no. I am a new creation in Christ. And I am not who I was. And he has grace not just to save me from something, but now he is fitting me and forming me for something that will carry on through eternity, namely relationship and communion and partnership with himself. So for Paul, he's, he's declaring, you are enemies alienated in your minds, that your, your thoughts, your evil behavior, but guess what? He reminds him, he already said it last week through Cal's sermon, but you've been restored to relationship because of what God has done through his son Jesus. How many are thankful that we can rely on Jesus? How many are weak in and of themselves, but in Christ you're like a lion? And the way we overcome the enemy is not by looking within and, oh, you know, am I pro I'm doing good, to doing good today. I read my Bible two hours. I was up early. Beloved, we don't look at our performance and then make an assessment of our standing before God. We look and lock eyes and refuse to turn the dial and say, I stand before God because of what Christ has done on my behalf. We don't turn the dial. We can't afford to like, oh, I'm, God loves me today because I did. No, God, no, 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 no. God loves me because he sent his son and his son has definitively finished something that I never could finish. Now, the principal ministry of community groups and Bible studies and small groups is to say, look at what God has done through Jesus and who you are because of what he did. Amen. Let's move on. I love it. And so this is, this is why Paul, in verse 22 and 3, he's like, You've got to continue in this thing. Just go read all of Galatians. Like, they are very related. Shocker, Paul wrote them both. But Galatians 3, he's like, dude, did God give you the Spirit? Did he release the miraculous by any other means than you believing in what God has done and finished the work through the crucifixion of his son? Like, why are you trying to add to what he actually declared in John 19? It is finished. Did you know that those words still carry weight today? It is finished. You can't add to or subtract from what God has done definitively through his son. This is why the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, the good news, it is not, it's not a theory. I, I've said this about six weeks ago when we started the series. The gospel, by its very nature, the euangelion, it's an announcement of facts that have actually happened and cannot be reversed. I'm not sharing the gospel so that I hope you like, man, consider this. It's, it's good. It's a good theory. It's a good idea. No, no. The gospel is God has intervened in time and space through an actual body, the man Christ Jesus, who lived the life we could never live, who died the death that we deserve to give us a life that we could never, ever earn. It's good news. Someone say it's good news. And he's saying this news, this gospel, is what's spreading all over the earth, and it's bearing fruit. So for Paul, in prison, he's like, I know, remember, 
the heresies around Colossae. Yeah, it's Jesus, but look at this cool vision I had and these angels and this, this strict, harsh treatment of your body. Read chapter 2. We'll get there in a couple weeks. All these people want to add all of these accoutrements to the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus, and you need Jesus and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And cry. Paul in prison is like, you guys are mad. The fullness of the glory dwells in Christ, and that fullness dwells in every believer. Woo! You don't need to add to Jesus. I'm talking this morning. I, listen, listen. I, I, it was funny. This morning I did a new thing before preaching this whole passage. I sang it. It wasn't pretty or melodic. I mean, I just put a pad on, but I'm like, Lord, I'm going to chew on this scripture. And I'm singing. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by Paul. He is so convinced in the power of what God still does through trusting in his son. He's like, dude, if you add to it, you're, 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 not, you're not progressing in your faith. You're, you're, in, you're actually in danger of falling away. And so look at this, verse 24 through 29. I, oh, I just hope you fall in love with Jesus and the man whose obsession was to proclaim Jesus everywhere he was known, Apostle Paul. Look what he does here. He's like, I'm suffering. My suffering's not adding to like the, like the, the, the vitality and, and fullness of Christ's suffering, but even as Christ suffered to present to his father a people, the apostles suffering so as to present a body to the son. So he's like, I'm suffering. This is costly. Did you know that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed? Christ himself set the plumb line and the paradigm for how the kingdom of God advances. Listen, some of you are trying to rewrite stories for your family tree. How many are, how many are contending for a new family tree, a new lineage, a new story in the gospel? Well, guess what? It's going to cost you. You know what? And you know it. Some of you are like, I know, I paid the cost. But this is why the Apostle Paul's boasting in his suffering, not because he's arrogant. He knows that for the gospel to find new ground to be planted and someone's going to have to lay down their rights and their life for that seed from one seed to become many. It's an irrevocable kingdom principle, beloved. But when that seed, the seed of our lives hits the ground, we say, I am not mine. I am yours. And I want to partner with you in relationship, communion, and in partnership to establish, Lord, new ground for the gospel, it's going to cost you. Say it with me. It's going to cost you. But what else do we want to do with our lives? What else is going to last forever? Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says this. No, 26 through 29 says, Someday, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Everyone say, it will be shaken. Everything. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 16 says, every man's work is going to be revealed by fire. Every man, every woman too, hello. And so the point is, when we give ourselves to the work of the ministry of Jesus, of knowing him, loving him, and whatever your sphere of autonomy and authority, whatever your job description, whatever vocation the Lord has gifted you to steward and carry, you say, no, 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 Lord, wherever I am, this belongs to Jesus. I want to become that tree that's planted and rooted, solid in Christ, so that the fruitfulness of my life doesn't just impact me, but those around me. And Paul is saying, I rejoice in my suffering and I fill up in my flesh for the sake of his body because I am its servant. Did you know it is a privilege to serve God? Okay, two amens. Let me say that again. 
Bible 101, everyone serves a master, period. That's why Spurgeon said, I've heard a lot about free, like freedom, but I've never met a free man. He says, why? R read all of Romans 6. You are a slave to whomever you obey and give most weight to in your life. Greed, you're a slave to, to mammon. Sex and vanity, you're a slave to the mirror and whatever new cosmetic they can release to keep you young and youthful. Pick your God, whatever that thing is in your life that carries the, 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 that's the fulcrum that your life turns on, you are a slave to that thing. The only thing you and I get to choose in the grace of God is, Lord, I want to be under your leadership and your ownership. I want to serve you because the benefit of serving you is not enslavement and, 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 and suppression and a bored, bogged-down life. I become a slave to your righteousness, which results in holiness, which results in life everlasting. So the Bible is very clear. Paul, like, you are going to serve someone. Why not serve the king who left his throne and took on garments of service to show us what God is really like? So Paul's like, I'm in prison. You know, just read 2 Corinthians 6 and chapter 11 here, lists all of his sufferings. Instead of complaining, he's like, this is the necessary work for you to grow in your faith. How many have ever felt the privilege? It wasn't a privilege at the time, but you've borne weight for, for someone else's fruitfulness. Raise your hand. You've contended. You've standed in the gap, stood in the gap. I want you to know that is an unbelievable privilege from heaven's perspective. Paul's like, I'm filling it up in my flesh. I'm, it's costing me. It hurts. It's painful. But when I gave my life to Christ, the sentence that was read over my life was Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 2 Corinthians 5.14 through the whole thing, 21. Because of the love I've seen in Jesus now, that love is now the paradigm through which my whole life launches from. Because he loved me the way he loved me, I want to love others in the same way. So for Paul, it wasn't him gritting his teeth and trying to find inner resources to like be an apostle to carry out his ministry. You and I aren't going to grit our teeth and say, gosh, I wish I was more loving. You know what we do? We fall into the arms of the one who is love and let his love make us loving. How many know there's a difference between trying to accumulate virtue by your own determination? And yes, there's discipline, there's practices, there's rhythms, routines. I believe in all of that. But I want you to know there is no greater way to have ongoing transformation than just by clinging to Christ with all that you have. Christ. Because this morning I was singing and I was declaring, I'm like, Lord, I pray you'd feed us this morning with your son, Jesus. Just... Jesus, you are enough. Oh, I want our body to just feast on his supremacy and sufficiency. Do you ever just pause on your work day and say, Jesus, there's power that flows from you. There's virtue that flows from you. You have vision that's better than what I'm seeing with the mountains on my path. Jesus, lift me to where you are. Friends, I want you to know you have access. You haven't just been reconciled and that's it, signed, sealed, delivered. Live your life as an estranged person that has no bearing on your life. You and I now have this relationship that we get to cultivate on into the age to come. 
And so he talks about the riches of the glorious riches of the mystery. And I love, so Paul, is, he's, he's poking fun at those who, who are, again, trying to confuse this young church that they have secret knowledge. Hey, but did you see like this cool YouTube documentary? They discovered, come on, someone, come on, okay. But did you know that like this extra little thing that no one's ever heard of, the church has never taught for 2,000 years, but this new thing, this mystery, friends, the mystery has been revealed. The mystery of who God is. When Christ put on skin and bone, the word became flesh. The mystery of God. I love all of Ephesians 3. In the Bible says it was literally hidden in God. God's epic plan to redeem and restore the world of both Jew and Gentile in one unified body. How's he going to do that? The mystery is revealed through the appearing through the death and resurrection, ascension, and soon coming of his son, King Jesus. So everyone say with me, the mystery has been revealed to God's people. And that is Christ. 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 And so the unbelievable mystery is that these Gentiles, non-Jewish people who were far from God, they were on the outside of the covenants, of the promises, the patriarchs, the law, the whole, the whole deal. The great mystery is that God, at the end of the age, Revelation 7, is our snapshot for our future. I read it this morning, that one day we're going to gather. I thought of it. I, I got caught up in it the other day. One day we're going to be gathered with multitudes from every tribe and tongue around the throne, singing, worthy is the Lamb salvation and honor and glory this is the mystery that's been revealed god has always wanted to do what he did for israel he always wanted to do for the world but the world didn't want him so he had to choose a community a people through abraham and the whole the prophetic promises we'll talk about later read all of galatians you'll see it but that through this one family all the nations of the earth will be blessed this is the mystery revealed that paul's talking about and then I love it. We're doing great. We're just, let's just land the plane here. Verse 28 and 29 are personal life verses for me. He is the one. I just love that he just gets real singular. Paul can flex his, he's a genius, by the way. But he's like, I got one message. And it never gets old speaking it. It's Christ. It's Christ. Chad, don't we need more topics? Like, like, Christ is like the curriculum in the kingdom of God, studying who he is, what he's done, what he said, his example, his model, who we are in him because of him. Paul is saying he is the one we proclaim publicly so that people respond. He's the one in private counseling sessions that I'm admonishing, hey, you're not acting in line with your identity in Christ. Come on. He's the one that I teach in both doctrine and life and practice, he is the curriculum in the kingdom of God for every single son and daughter of God. Did you know we will never stop mining out the Colossians 2.3, the treasures that are found in Jesus Christ? Come on, who wants that, that sense of expectancy restored to your spirit? You're too familiar. No, 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 no. There is more to discover in the riches of Jesus for us, beloved. There is more. And so Paul is saying, he's the one, he's the one. Jesus, he's the one, he's the one. Why? Because the way you got into the kingdom through Christ is the way you grow, experience, and explore life in the kingdom as you learn to abide in 
and do all of life with Jesus. And then lastly, I just, this just marked me as I've reflected on this passage. Like I said, Paul has two main thrusts of this passage this morning. His ministry of proclamation. And look how he describes it, verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend. It's agonize. That's, it's, it's, that's the root word in the Greek. Like He's like, I'm so committed to this ministry. I'm so committed that when God's people have kids' Bibles, because I couldn't find an adult Bible, I don't want to grow up. I'm a kingdom kid. Yeah, you know, whatever. But look at this. With all of the energy that Christ works in me. So even when you and I this week fulfill our vocation, even when you and I fulfill our role as moms or dads or brothers or sisters or roommates or business owners or school teachers, did you know you are not meant to fulfill that vocation in your own strength, that there is strength from on high to enable you to do the thing God's called you to do in his love? Come on, someone say amen. I know you're tired. We can grow weary. We can grow weary in well-doing. But Paul discovered a secret that, yes, I am zealous. Oh, my word, he says in Acts 20, 24, my life is worth nothing to me. I just want to preach Christ everywhere. And Paul knew the secret. As zealous as I am to fulfill the commission to serve Christ and his church so that the church, so that even as Christ gave his life to present us to his father, I'm giving my life to present the church to, to the king. This is Paul's logic. And it's costly. And it's hard. And there's resistance. There's suffering. But he's like, I'm not doing it in my own strength. This is the secret God wants to impart to us this morning. When you give yourselves to the king and his service, you tap into resources that never run out. There is an energy, there is a power, there is an anointing. When you're doing what you're called to do, come hell or high water, even when it's hard, there are resources, there is energy, there is power you have access to. Just call on the name of the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm doing this. I'm serving you, but you need to strengthen me for the task that you're calling me to. How many need fresh energy? I love the language this morning. I need it. I need it. And then lastly, this is just pastoral. This gets me. Just read those last five verses. So look, first ministry, I'm proclaiming, I'm teaching, I'm admonishing. It's this proclamation ministry. But look, these dudes haven't even met Paul yet. He's in prison, some think either in Rome or Ephesus. His second ministry. I'm contending in my teaching. Now I'm contending in prayer. Look at the language. It's the same Greek word. He's agonizing. He's in his prison cell. He's like, they're young. I know Epiphras came and told me they've got real faith. They really are growing. They believe in the gospel. Now, Lord, finish the work that you started. Can you see the Apostle Paul, like Roman guards outside? He's like, Lord, in the name of Jesus, release the riches of your glory. Touch the body. They're being, they're being you know, onslaughted by all these theories. And look at verse 5. All these fine-sounding arguments that you need Jesus and this. And Paul, the Apostle, in prison, he's like, I'm contending that those voices would be silenced and you'd hear the voice that God has spoken over his church, the voice of his son, Jesus. He's just contending. And look, what he's, look, what his, look at his greatest desire for every church he helped plant or oversee. 
that whatever community and whatever city or location, you know what he longs to be at the center of that community? An open treasure chest called Jesus Christ where the body of Christ never gets over drawing out treasures. Can you picture it? I almost, there's a treasure chest in our storage unit. I wanted to bring it by way of illustration. But here's what Paul, he's contending. Lord, they haven't met me. Oh, but the guy I sent, he did a good job. He preached the gospel and I'm writing this letter. It's helping supplement what dude forgot to say when he was with him in person. I mean, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by this call to not just be one who proclaims, but one who prays the gospel forward. Did you know your prayers impact people and places and things for the glory of God? Come on. I pray that we would become a church that contends. Say it with me. Contends. That we don't just say, oh, they're having a bad day. Maybe they'll get over it and you know, snap back into it. Come on, beloved, how many need, how many, how many know we need each other to contend for the fullness of God to be manifest on the inside of every one of us? We need, and listen, this is what Epiphras is doing. If you read Colossians 4:12, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. Paul is not just interested in, oh, sweet, church number 27 planted. Listen, the pioneer and the apostles, also the father and the pastor, is like, I'm not just here to see a baby born. I want to see that baby grow up into full maturation. Come on, do you see his heart? I just want you to see his heart. It's moving my heart. Lord, I've preached, I've proclaimed, I'm doing that ministry, but I'm far away. So you know what? I'm going to trust you that as much as my zeal is for the body to grow to maturation, your zeal is infinitely more because your church is your eternal inheritance and reward for your suffering. And so Paul's desire in closing. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart that they would feel, they would literally feel God come beside them. That's what it means, encouragement. To come alongside. To produce a love for each other. Amen. Produce a love for each other. And that they would have understanding. And that right at the center of that community, it's not a personality. It's not a worship style. It's not a gimmick or a trick. It's a treasure chest that's open, Christ Jesus himself. Do you see that picture? Picture the treasure chest in your home right now. The treasure of Jesus open, his presence, his word, his promises, his kingdom, just infusing your life. I want you to have that in your head as we go this week. At the center of our hearts, at the center of our lives, at the center of our church, for goodness sake, what we do every week is we pop the treasure chest and we say, Lord, what do you have for us today? You're the curriculum. You're the way, truth, and life that alone leads to the Father. You're the one. In you is life. Without you, there is no life. And Paul lands the plane. I know there's arguments. There's ideologies. But I'm contending for you. Come on, how many know, moms and dads, we need to contend for our children? Come on, someone say amen. We need to contend for this generation. We need to contend that we, we, don't, we don't passively say, well, they'll figure it out. I want you to know we are in an all-out battle for the hearts and minds of a generation. Say yes to the grace of God this morning afresh to contend. I'm absent from you in body, but because I'm an intercessor, I'm in your midst. Do you see him? But in the spirit, you guys are going to be all right. You know the mystery of God. 
It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're not going to turn from the gospel. He's contending. He's declaring. Beloved, you and I, this week, have access to this treasure, to this word. Words to treasure. I love that. Kids Bible. Perfect. How is the grace of God touching you this morning? Let's stand to our feet and respond. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, right now that you would strengthen our body with might. Just put your hand on your heart and just say, Lord Jesus, strengthen me. Deposit hope in me. Deposit courage in me. Deposit energy in me so that I, so that we can serve you this week and bring you glory. Don't let me move from the hope held out in the gospel. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you would empower us this week to be those who find their very life in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would, you would just ruin us. I pray for the mental image of a treasure chest open, that all week we could return to this passage and return to that thought that we have this treasure the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, this treasure of Jesus that we carry on the inside of us. Father, I pray that you would hold up the gospel mirror over our body and we would hear the words, you are holy, you are blameless, and you are free from accusation because of who you are and becoming in Jesus Christ. So Father, in the name of Jesus, let's cast down the voice of the accuser, be bound the voice of the accuser be silenced. Father, I pray that our spiritual family this week would walk with a vibrancy of spirit, that we would walk in an overcoming faith because of who we are and are becoming in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would give us grace to proclaim the gospel this week, and you'd give us grace to contend in prayer for the gospel to work in those that we love, lead, and do life with. We cry out, Lord, that we would not be captive by fine-sounding arguments, but we would be captivated by your love, that nothing could cause us to turn the dial of your affection, of your approval, and of your words spoken over your church that will overcome even the gates of Hades. Father, I thank you for blessing our spiritual family today. Send us with light, send us with life, and send us in your love this week. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said amen, amen. and amen. I love